welcome back to the Politics Unboxed podcast. My name is Reese, and today it is going to be another look at the Investigating Ideologies section. Uh, we're going to go back to the very, very, very start, so the first recognised political ideology, <coughs> beg your pardon, that of liberalism. Um, liberalism, sort of a key, a, a fundamental uh, ideology, sort of the one that most political philosophers believe other ideologies uh, emerged out of sort of conservatism being a reaction to liberalism. Um, socialism is a reaction to liberalism as well. Um, liberalism, its fundamental ideas on rationalization, uh, rationalism, uh, nation state, human nature, all of those come very much into focus uh, when you're talking about different political ideologies. It is very much the, the foundational ideology, a pervasive ideology. It's found its way into, uh, well, into a myriad of, of different nation states. Nowadays, uh, almost two-thirds of states across the world, they consider themselves uh, liberal democracies. That's actually seven times more than consider themselves liberal democracies in 1945. Um, for many academics, liberalism is not just a prevailing ideology, uh, it's also the, the end of history, the inevitable destination for advanced societies and the politicians who guide them. So today we're going to be looking at the origins of liberalism. Where does it come from? What are the roots? Um, it's a very influential ideology. It's also complex and potentially confusing. Uh, but we're going to start at the very beginning with the origins and core beliefs of this preeminent ideology. Um, and it finds its roots in sort of the Reformation, that religious movement that affected large swathes of Northern Europe in the 15th and 16th centuries, uh, led by people like Martin Luther, founders of Protestant Christianity, arguing individuals seeking to communicate with God and to understand his commands that need to rely on priests or popes or other intermediaries. Um, and the Enlightenment sought to extend these religious ideas into political and secular spheres. And it's sort of an intellectual movement emerging in the mid-17th century. Um, one had especially profound effect on politics in the 18th century, influencing the, the American Revolution um, and the French Revolution. Um, the Enlightenment being there defined by a belief in reason rather than faith, uh, promoting relentless debates, inquiries, questioning, scrutinising. Um, and there was a, a radical idea that came out of, out of the Enlightenment. Each, that each individual is someone in their own, with their own free will, and that each individual is the best judge of their own interests, and an individual's life should be shaped by the individual's actions and decisions. And those are thoughts of a man called John Locke. He was a classical liberal. Um, and an Enlightenment sort of, he's a bastion of the Enlightenment, one of the great writers of the Enlightenment time, and he is widely regarded by many as the, the father of liberalism. He sort of stopped to question the relationship between individuals and governments, seeking to define why and how individuals should defer to those who govern them. Um, the Enlightenment was to go on and challenge and eventually destroy sort of medieval attitudes towards uh, divine right and monarchical power. Um, and for Locke and other Enlightenment philosophers, human beings are uniquely endowed with logic, calculation and deduction. Uh, and it was logical, therefore, that human beings should create by themselves and for themselves a political system based on reason. That is called mechanistic theory. Uh, this rational and capable thought that can devise a state reflecting the needs. Um, very much a rebuttal of the divine right of kings. So these core ideas of liberalism, where do they start with? Well, it's human nature. Now, liberalism's view on human nature, sort of first articulated there by, by John Locke and refined by people like J.S. Mill, um, is strongly associated with the Enlightenment. And that most important feature um, 
strongly tied to religious uh, religious doctrines of original sin is something that the Enlightenment really challenged. Um, that doctrine said that mankind was deeply flawed and imperfect, and man's only hope lay in acknowledging his flaws and imperfections whilst praying for the grace of God's. And what liberals turned around and said, well, no, man, man is not flawed. Man, man is rational. Man has innate reason. It's manifested in debate, in discussion, peaceful argument, the measured examination of ideas and opinions. Now, rather than sort of rolling over and meekly accepting whatever life offers next, perhaps on the grounds that it's sort of the will of God or someone has, has predefined it for me. It's, it's simply fate. Individuals have the capacity to plan their own future, affecting a preconceived outcome. Indeed, the concept of both planning and the subsequent plan, they're central to the rationalist idea and the cheery, sort of optimistic, liberal belief that human nature allows us to shape our own destiny. So for liberals, human problems, they're merely challenges that await a reasoned solution on the account of human nature. Individuals who really want something can usually achieve it using their reason plus determination. Now, because liberals assume rationality is a universal feature of human nature, uh, they assume that reasoned discussion will lead to consensus because everyone has the rationality to see um, to see the, the proper argument and conclusion that should come at the end of it, based off of a rational examination of all the facts and all the evidence put forward. Um, for liberals, individuals are naturally self-seeking. Uh, liberalism has a very close link to something called egotistical individualism. Uh, it denotes that human beings are naturally drawn to the advancement of their own selfish interests and the pursuit of their own happiness. Um, its proponents, they, they cite mankind's rationalism, um, and they deny that this conflict between rationalism and individualism uh, leads to gross insensitivity. Um, there is argument about that. Um, but for the very origins of liberalism, there is this reliance on egotistical individualism. Um, humans are naturally drawn to a situation where they are independent, in charge of their own destiny. Uh, and they will try and grab it all for themselves, but... Mankind's innate rationality and virtue stop this, leading to a sort of destructive selfishness and competition. Therefore, individuals are both egotistical and reasonable, making them sensitive to the perspectives of fellow men and women, ensuring that the natural condition of human nature uh, is one of self-aware individuals living in peace, harmony and mutual understanding. Now, that is the fundamental liberal belief on human nature. There is innate rationality. Sometimes it may take a while to come out, but it's there. Uh, and uh, humans are both egotistical, yet rational and reasonable. Uh, and the rationality takes over if the ego uh, or the individualism uh, is under threat. So, with liberalism's optimistic view of human nature, particularly about reason, this then informs the liberal view about whether a society can ever exist without a state. In the classic work of conservative thought, uh, Leviathan, by Thomas Hobbes, uh, we'll come on to conservatism in a later podcast, he argues that human nature is bu brutally selfish and no society could possibly arise or survive until human nature is restrained by a strong and formal authority, i.e. a state. But early liberal philosophers, people like John Locke, argued, well, no, there was an existence of a natural society with natural laws, natural rights, they include sort of the right to life, liberty, property and happiness, all of that came well before anyone decided there should be a government, there should be a state, or there should be laws. Um, so for liberals, life before the state was not, as Thomas Hobbes said, solitary, nasty, uh, brutish, and short, uh, but potentially pleasant, civilised, and long. And this liberal belief in a national society, uh, sorry, a natural society with natural rights, uh, this explains why liberals place so much importance on the individual. People like J.S. Mill, they emphasise that the main 
purpose of any civilized society, either natural um, or manufactured, is to facilitate individualism. Uh, and in making this claim, Mill sort of is arguing each individual, they have a unique personality, they have peculiar talents, uh, individuals are rational in the, theater, in the pursuit of their self-interest, individuals are egotistical and driven to a wish, driven by a wish, sorry, to fulfill their potential, uh, sort of desire this self-reliance and independence, um, and therefore each individual seeks freedom, freedom from any dependency on others, freedom to live one's life in a way that sort of maximizes the self-reliance and the self fulfillment. Therefore, the default setting, sort of uh, a factory reset, if you will, of any society is a focus on individual freedom. Any society seeking to deny this individualism, well, it's dysfunctional. It's violating those natural rights that you would have seen in the state of nature. Had you taken away this manufactured state, this natural state with natural rights, natural laws and natural liberties would have come through. Uh, therefore, the right to property is especially important. It's the tangible expression of an individual within a society. Owning property is uh, it's sort of the prism through which individuals can achieve their potential. It gives an opportunity within civilized communities for men and women to nurture their taste, their judgment, their rationality, uh, and pr property and property rights. Very, very important to liberals. Right, now we've covered human nature and society, we can move on to the economy. And um, liberalism's devotion to private property really does inform its approach to the economy as well. Given that property is a natural right, according to liberals, um, it is therefore inevitable liberals support an economy that puts private property at the heart of all economic arrangements. In short, liberalism, uh, if it doesn't support capitalism, well, it's not liberalism, really. Um, ever since sort of Adam Smith uh, came through with a theory of markets in his work, sort of The Wealth of Nations, that was around, uh, was it 1776, I think that was put out, um, liberalism has really been associated with the private enterprise, private ownership of the economy, uh, indeed, Capitalism is often described as economic liberalism. Um, this provides a key difference between liberalism and forms of socialism. Um, there is crossover between liberalism, liberals sorry, and socialists. Um, they, they share a belief in the benevolence of human nature, for example. But liberals ultimately defend the market-based economy and refute any anti-capitalist message put forth by society. Um, the liberal aspect of capitalism, three factors. Uh, it stems from, first, the inviolability of private property. Second, it is individualistic, involving individual traders. They cooperate, they compete, uh, they find the best deal that works for them. But also, because everyone's finding the best deal for them, it is to the benefit of all. That is the third pillar, revealing liberalism's eternal optimism and belief in progress. And that's very much what Adam Smith was on about here. The invisible hand, uh, which sort of guides the economy towards the best and most optimal outcome is driven by all of these individual selfish transactions. Um, we've done three of the four pillars of liberalism. Now it's time to crack on with the last one. It's the state. So individual and cap individualism sorry, and capitalism, they are central to liberalism's view of society uh, and the economy. But it's important re to remember, this does not render liberalism unique in political ideologies. There are several branches of anarchism which... Uh, provide individualism and capitalism together. What makes liberalism distinctive is that there has to be a state. Uh, it works best, individualism and capitalism that is, when accompanied by a certain kind of state. But there are very, very different types of state. Key, key points behind this, the state of nature, uh, I've referenced it a few times, 
Uh, essentially, it's a lock, a Lockean utopia uh, with natural rights, natural laws, and natural liberties. Therefore, the original liberal state is not to tread on the toes of any of those natural rights. Um, Locke was especially worried um, that without the uh, the formal structures of a state, some of those natural rights may end up being eroded because they wouldn't be swift uh, and prompt uh, and efficient justice. However, it cannot, this mechanism to ensure this swift justice and swift application of those natural rights, laws and liberties, uh, that cannot impede on those, uh, those natural rights, laws and liberties. Very much like a referee in a football match. Um, in, in the absence of a referee, a game can go on. Uh, it might not, however, be the best game. There would be a restriction, uh, the occasional punishment, um, maybe with a, I don't know, some sort of uh, bad foul, which you could see sort of as the uh, stealing of a private property uh, by another. Um, however, with a referee, there may be a small restriction of the actual things you can do, so you can no longer foul people. However, overall the match is fairer, more efficient and more rewarding for the individual players, especially if that referee sticks to pre-agreed rules. That is very important. Those natural rights, laws and liberties are safeguarded by the state, acting as the neutral arbiter and the referee. So for liberals, uh, the argument of the state of nature, it is tolerable, but it is inferior to a formalised state. Um, therefore, by protecting those natural rights, um, a manufactured state can improve upon them. Uh, the objectives of the liberal state uh, allow the more effective resolution of disputes between individuals, um, and uh, well, it rejects the sort of traditional medieval monarchical state, the absolutist and arbitrary rule. Um, power is not concentrated in the hands of one individual, it is government by consent. The state is legitimate only if those under the jurisdiction of the state have volunteered to be under the jurisdiction. Therefore, the governments must have the consent of the governed, uh, creating a very powerful link between, um, or between the rulers and those over which they rule. Um, I think what we are going to do is actually leave it there with liberalism in terms of how far we've got with the state. We're going to leave it at government by consent. Um, just one last little bit on on that. The doctrine of government by consent, that relationship between the politicians and the people, the people are not the subjects of the government, as sort of this traditional medieval state would have said. Um, the people in the state have ultimate control over the government. I'm going to leave you with a quote from John Locke. Government should always be the servant, not master of the people. And with that, as almost perfect timing, that is all we have time for today on liberalism. Um, there will be more episodes on liberalism. It's a very interesting ideology and there is a lot to cover. Um, but thank you very much for listening. I hope to see you around soon for the next episode and goodbye. Mm -hmm.